0: i <laughs> Hey guys, what's up? It is week 276, I believe. And uh, before we start this, I have a couple little announcement things. I've been on Summer Series this year. If you guys aren't familiar with Summer Series, go check it out. Podcast uh, Under the Stairs. It's this epic thing with a bunch of different uh, hosts from all different shows and all around the world. We fight about which movies are the best of the year. This is one was a little different. I'll let Duncan explain it. But if you've not checked it out, there's a lot of people on the show. It's a lot of fun. It's kind of a big summer event for a lot of, you know, horror podcasters. Uh, And also, I'm going to be on Sick on Cinema podcast. I'm actually recording it tomorrow. I record these on Friday, so I'll record it Saturday. We're doing Hisiyasu Sato films. Uh, yeah, so get your perfect cards ready and check that podcast out. Those guys are both really great, really funny, love their podcast, and have been talking a little, and they invited me on, and it should be fun. So let's hop into the first movie, and it is a classic, a Stone Cold classic, and I'm just joking around, but yeah, this is a uh, Jack Frost 2, Revenge of the Mutant Killer Snowman. All right, this is actually directed by this guy who did the first one. Was it Michael Cooney? Yeah, and the first one, I know, like, some people love it. Some people, hey, I, I I enjoy it. I think it's goofy. I think it's fun. It's one of these weird 90s slashers, off-the-wall kind of thing. Always kind of dug it. But uh, when they, and MVD went ahead and put out the first one after uh, Vinegar Syndrome had a release, they, they put the second one out as well, this this one, which um, came out, I want to make sure I remember where this one came out. It came out a few years later, what, like, 2000. 2000, so I think the first one was 96 or somewhere around that time, um, rough estimate, and what happened was there was a mess up and they used the wrong negatives or something along the lines and it was like the the non-R rated cut, it was like a, a cut version with less gore and less nudity so a lot of people are very upset um, so eventually this one um, got re-released and they fixed everything here so you will know that there is uh, but the difference, here's how you can spot it there is like a little sticker on some of them I believe, but it'll say this on the back, the R-rated version right there. So if you want to know which version you have right there, make sure you got the R-rated version there. So here we go. Um, Now, I I guess I'll just mention this story because I always kind of got a kick out of it. Um, So like I said, I like the original. And my friend used to purposely, this is like 2006 or something, used to go to the video store and and find the movies that he thought would be the absolute worst movies he could find or the weirdest or off-the-wall stuff. And he had a bunch of us over, and he had brought back Jack Frost 2. So, I was like, what is this? Like, I don't want to watch Jack Frost 2. I, I, even though I like low-budget movies, I, I liked my low-budget movies more like serious. I'm not, I not, Like, I I just didn't have, I think Jack Frost 2 is going to be much, very good. I, but, I, I mean, I guess I was being a little bit of a snob. You guys, give me a break. I was 19 years old. Even though I was in the Tempe, Jack Frost Two's not good enough. Whatever. People are silly. So... I, 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 uh, he got up to use the bathroom and he had been drinking. and I got up and fast forwarded about 30, 40 minutes of the movie. When he came back, it was over in 15 minutes. He's like, that was a short movie, guys, because he didn't even, he didn't even know or register that I did that. He just thought the movie had this weird, abrupt, uh, change and everything. But that was being kind of unfair with Jack Frost, too, to be honest, because when I put this in, I had always heard that the reputation was like some of the worst, like people hate it. It's like half a star, one star, everything on Letterbox Um, I So I expected the absolute, you know, bargain basement crap. Uh, I thought it was actually really funny in, like, a goofy way. It's so self-aware of its stupidness. It goes over the top more than it should with it. And it's just, like, so ridiculous and dumb. It's almost not serious enough to, like, even garner a plot. Like, to have a plot. Or or it does, but it's just, like, it, you just, it's... It, it's really sloppy in a lot of ways, in the goofiest ways of the characters. It feels like a trauma movie, and I mean that as a compliment. So it's it's not like it's less grounded than Jack Frost, which is insane because Jack Frost has like a little small town kind of quality to it, and very fun over-the-top characters, but it's ridiculous, this one's even more ridiculous, the big hit on this movie is that it's so much cheaper than the first one, so like, everything is so cheap, it doesn't, it's not shot very well, and I'm not talking about the cinematographer, whatever it was shot on, it's gotta be some sort of digital, you know, at that time, like, everything used to be shot on, like, digital, but the early digital stuff, even stuff like 28 Days Later, and like, Red Zen Tower later, it was like high-end camera stuff at the time, but it just does not look very good now, it just did not age well. Which is very unfortunate in a lot of ways, and I don't know if Jack Frost Two was shot on that. It's just like I said, the budget definitely shows. It's so much cheaper than the first one, and the plot's even more ridiculous. So the first one, of course, you know, it's a serial killer, and um, on the way to be executed, he crashes his um, his prison escort um, gets crashed into like this experimental drug, not drug or whatever experimental shit. And he merges with the snow, so he becomes the killer snowman. So now Jack Frost has been defeated from the first movie, and he's been buried. Somehow that antifreeze, uh, anti-freeze whatever, he killed him, has gotten, I don't know how it gets out, uh, some ridiculous set of circumstances, and ends up on this island, uh, because Jack Frost wants to get revenge on the police officer who put him away and his family. So, in the original one, there was a small-town sheriff, and he was kind of the hero of this movie. He definitely takes a backseat to this one, because he's kind of lost his mind, where no one ever believed him, and they always laugh at him, and he carries uh, a little bit of antifreeze just in case Jack Frost comes back around his neck in a necklace. It's so absurd. And he has a lot of good comic beats, actually. He's probably the best performance in the movie. They bring back characters um, from the first movie. Sometimes they recast them in the most ridiculous ways. Everybody's a cartoon, from the person that runs the resort, um, the vacation resort to being like this old school kind of like uh english guy who has all these it's just such a silly ridiculous movie um the pre- the digital effects are on you know unacceptable i i guess is a good word but the practical is fun and goofy and they have little snowball killers so jack frost has kids and i like that cuz there's little creature attacks and everything it's a really t- goofy movie um, and I like the little creature attacks and stuff. But it, it's, it's a pretty terrible movie in a lot of ways. But it's self-aware of its terribleness. And this can either go one one way or the other for me. You know what I mean? Like, it, it can be so, like, obviously bad on purpose that I can't stand it. Or it can have a certain goofy charm to it that somehow works. And I, I lean more towards the somehow working with Jack Frost, too, to be honest. So, like, I'm surprised uh, myself more than anything that I enjoyed this thing. And it, and it would be better with a group setting. I probably should have watched, that, watched it in 2006 and, and enjoyed it. Um, but no, it is so silly. Um, it's absolutely absurd and nonsense. Like I said, the practical effects are much better than the digital effects. And there's this really great moment where Jack Frost finds one of his, um, his, uh, fallen sons or daughters or snow people, whatever they are. And has a dramatic like sad scene and it's just like what are we doing here this is actually really funny um the same guy who played the voice of jack frost is back and he he has some one-liner some goofy quips and it it works right i mean i think jack frost 2 I'm, I'm probably going to get shot for this I, I don't know who would be so passionate about jack frost 2 or the Ginger Dead Man to shoot me, but I prefer Jack Frost Two over the Ginger Dead Man. I know, right? Isn't that crazy? A hot take here. These are the these are the hot takes over at the Mister Parker Channel. G- Jack Frost Two over Ginger Dead Man. Oh, I'm sorry. But uh, as far as the special features are concerned, we have it uh, two versions: an unfiltered and a filtered, and one I feel like has a film grain they put over it. Um, and then we have audio commentary with director Michael Cooney. New audio commentary with um, Tony Pilizzo, Newt Wallen, and Christian Quinn of Hack the Movies. New Full Empire Promotions, Donna Dominic Mancini Interview with Scott McDonald, Part 2. This is the Part 2. Um, part 1 was on the first film. And and then we have Interview with Director Michael Cooney, 4 or 5 minutes behind-the-scenes featurette, 12 minutes musical video spoof, theatrical trailer, reversible cover, all that kind of stuff like that. So, um, mini-poster, goofy movie... Um, I I kind of enjoyed it, though. I don't know what that says about me, but that's Jack Frost 2, Revenge of the Mutant Killer Snowman. I want to make sure I got that little part down there right. Look at the little guy in there. I I enjoy this cover, too. It's fun. Okay, the next one coming up is by Louis Buñuel and that's the best way to follow up Jack Frost 2, of course. And that is, is from VCI, and it's The Criminal Life of Archibaldo de la Cruz. And uh, like I said, I, I I haven't seen as many movies by this guy as I should have. Of course, I've seen the, uh, the I Slit movie, which I think everybody is made to watch in college and everything like that, and very important. Um, so, yeah, this is a dark comedy, um, a 50s, um, Spanish, is it Spanish, I believe? Spanish film. Um, hell, it might be Mexican. Sometimes I do that. I, I'm not too familiar where he shot this, I would imagine, Spain. But uh, so, so this one right away reminded me, of um, the the skeleton of Mrs. What is the Kadara? Uh, Kadara? I can't think of it. It's it's like a dark comedy that VCI also put out, which is actually really excellent. And this is really solid stuff. So the plot of this is really crazy um, and dark and, and weird for the time here. So uh, I almost want to just read part of the description just so you guys can feel how insane this is. But essentially, um, it, it kind of sets everything up like to where you know who this character is within the first fifteen minutes. It his motivations, and they're just of course. Are crazy they're bizarre i mean are all killers their motivations are bizarre so it follows a would-be serial killer or want to be serial killer and essentially you see his childhood where he's shown this music box and he loves it and he tells to- there's a story told where every time it plays or you can use it to kill people and um right when he plays it there's like a revolution going on outside and um his nanny um is shot and dies so this, like, he immediately believes it to be true. And later down the line, he's in an antique shop, and he hears the music box. And he instantly, he goes for it, and he has to have it. He kind of undermines somebody getting it, all this kind of stuff. He, he takes it home, and he cuts himself shaving. And the cutting himself shaving with the music box combination kind of brings him back these memories and this urge to kill. And uh, so so he has all these, like, interactions and and kind of like these thought out plans to kill people but they never go quite right there's some romances of course and some fantasy elements of inside his head which you know would be later used in stuff like Creepshow where we have the character imagining doing something it's used a lot but I feel like it was done the best in like stuff like Martin you know we have this fantastical element in his head where you kind of step inside the the, the serial killer they always say there's that big fantasy world within a serial killer but it's just so darkly silly because at the same time nothing goes quite right it's like a tragedy of errors but it's just silly like it's like only um, a wannabe serial killer would fail it's so sad because a wannabe serial killer fails at that and that's the tragedy it's, it's a bonkers idea it's really well acted. It's interesting. The characters are, are interesting too. The interactions are interesting. And just a lot of, a lot of good moments in here. Uh, as far as the special features are concerned, there is one, but I don't see the features listed on the back here. Okay, The Criminal Life of Archibald Okay, Okay, video essay by David Witt. And I believe this guy was the guy who covered a lot of the Santo films. He talked all about those on the, the you know, every Santo movie. He had some stuff to say about it and information. Very, very um, well thought out. He goes over the entire career of louis baniel and talks a lot about all his movies and where he moved from and everything like that um like i said i believe this one is a mexican film not spanish but sometimes uh some of these directors would make movies all around i i believe he probably made a couple in american stuff like that so again forgive me he's a director that i know is greatly important but i spent most of my time watching lucio falci and um you know, uh, George Romero movies. So, I, <laughs> that, as you can tell, my references. But this is a great film, and I definitely will have to check out more from him, obviously. But VCI. They do have a lot of good titles, and they kind of have, like, stuff that you don't expect. Like, I'm looking forward to their 4K of "Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. I hope that turns out well. Um, Definitely be covering it on here. I've not watched "Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things in years, a Bob Clark classic. So, anyways, The Criminal Life of Archibaldo de la Cruz. Interesting, cool stuff. And it has a nice little different structure, too, that I think probably is a little ahead of its time or a little different um, for the 50s. So, yeah, check it out. Okay, the next one is a Patreon pick that I forgot to talk about last week, and this is for Nick Mua, and this is Fear Clinic, directed by Robert Hall, if I'm not mistaken. Robert Hall did the Laid to Rest movies, part one and two, and I, I kind of always wondered what happened to him after that. I believe this is like early 2010, 2000, it might be 2013, and it has Robert Englund in it, of course, and Kevin Gage. I love Kevin Gage, and of course I love Robert England, but Kevin Gage, to me, was always a character actor that he really never... um got his due like he was always very he was a minor character in big movies um like heat or con air and he's really great in those films and then he plays some bigger roles in stuff like laid the rest and chaos which is a um uh, a really brutal movie kind of a remake of last house on the left on official style started as official don't want to get to that story but he's really always a solid scary intense kind of actor and he has a decent role in this he's like a handyman so fear clinic is um it's kind of a cool idea. It's definitely a, a idea movie, and like the execution, so so for me, and the a lot of the you know side characters are so so. But it's also got like this kind of I don't want to say edge lord thing, but it's got an edgy thing to it, especially in twenty thirteen. it involves um, we got the uh, somebody mowing the lawn. Can't do anything about that. We have some idea of, you know, like school, like a mass shooting, which is obviously a hot-button issue. And it's been a hot-button issue for a long time, and it just gets worse and worse. That's in here. So essentially, we follow the story of a group. We're more focused on a couple people, but there's a, a big group of people that all survived this shooting, you imagine. And they go to this clinic, this fear clinic, where Robert England, he basically runs it, and he's like this famous doctor. And he's invented a cure to kind of like, um, so your fear is gone. He somehow kind of put in this machine and your fear all disappears. Kind of like Flatliners, right? In a way where you go to this machine and you can explore your, you know, the last moments before death. it feels kind of like in that kind of weird scientific, we don't know if this shit actually could, it, it, it's like the science is very foggy in this aspect, but that is what it is, right? Science fiction, horror stuff. So anyways, uh, you know that just erasing your fear, there's going to be consequences. You're looking into a dark world and sometimes those dark worlds can look back into you. If you stare into the abyss, right? Is that Nietzsche? Um, I, maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm misquoting but anyway so 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 you do that kind of deal and I'm like putting a lot into this movie for this but um it's it's okay I like I said I like the concept um some of the actors are familiar Thomas Decker's in here I remember him being kind of a uh, a solid sized actor around this time I mean he was in the late the rest one and two and I feel like he was in Kaboom if I'm not mistaken but uh yeah um there's some digital effects they're not horrible for the time but they're not great uh, some of the practical effects are really gnarly um like when Robert England towards the end, he has, you know, some prosthetics on him and and it does not lose, you know, it's not lost on me that Robert England obviously... He was Freddy Krueger, and he lived off people's fear through their dreams, and now he's a doctor taking people's fear away. But of course, he becomes this fear monster at the end, which is fitting, and it kind of opened it up for possible more franchises. But the movie is, I guess, worth looking into just because it tackles some kind of touchy issues that a lot of people may may knock some points off because of it, or how it's handled, or maybe they just think it's just like edgelord stuff or, or whatever, maybe, but it wasn't I guess in every movie at this time and stuff like that and maybe they're just definitely trying to say something about it in general Um uh, and, and the, like I said the acting ranges I like Kevin Gage I like Robert Englund um, it's okay it, I don't love it I, it's a little subpar in, in a lot of aspects and I, I remember really liking Laid to Rest 1 and 2F was okay on I don't know if I revisited those if I'd, if I'd feel that same way you know it's been a long time um, so so these the, those kind of time frames from these movies like or, or like 2000 like 2000 like like 15, it's hard for me to remember how I would genuinely feel about a lot of these movies because it's been so long since I watched them and my taste, you know, I've changed. A lot of classics stayed classics, but, you know, I, I didn't see this when it came out and I'm just kind of a little subpar on it. It's not the worst and it does have interesting concepts. Definitely something I would try to play around with, I think, if I were to make a movie. And then, like, you just realize that, like, it's such a high concept idea and, and like, the budget's going to hold you back, too. But it, it still has some cool stuff in there. That's Fear Clinic. Okay, the other Patreon pick is Dan the Cameraman. He gave me this weird love list to pick off of, and I picked 1988 as Tears Go By. War car, um what is it? War, uh, War car? Why? I'm I'm sorry, I mispronounced. This is the first movie I've seen by. Him. I know he's a huge director. I know people love his movies, and this one is kind of like one of the middling ones where people don't love it as much as his other stuff. So I really have to get to his other films. But as tears go by, I really dug this. This is a very cool Hong Kong flick, '88. Uh, so it's got a really good look to it, like you see the streets and the raininess and the the lights, and like this is a love story at the same time. It's also a story about friendship and loyalty. I mean, it's kind of like a uh, a love story uh, uh like a platonic love story and a romantic love story this main character has you know with his uh friend and then of course with his cousin non-blood related cousin so you, you can see what it's going on here and you got to remember like a lot of other countries they use the term brother and cousin and sister and uncle um more as a sign of respect like um but they, they are generally cousins, I believe in this by marriage or something along those lines. so what we have is like uh kind of a debt collector as the main character, and one day his cousin is supposed to move in with them It's just for a short while, and they obviously start a relationship, and they have a bonding moment, Um, and we have that relationship going on through the background of the movie, which is going to make this whole thing even more tragic, right, and what's what's, uh, what makes a good love story except, you know, tragedy does, tragedy for sure shakespeare right so what happens is um his buddy his other debt collector collector is a younger guy he's learning the ropes and he's not particularly good at this he's hot-headed he makes a lot of mistakes and you see him like lose his temper several times throughout the film and it just gets you know he comes in and saves him saves him and eventually it's just going to escalate and uh, um escalate sorry not driving a car here uh escalate until there's no turning back and that's kind of what we have here as tears go uh as tears uh Go by. Sorry about that. And but like uh, like what I took away from it was uh, the slow motion stuff. I thought was really cool, really unique. Um, it's one of these movies where there's not a lot of shooting. There is violence. There's fighting and stuff. And when they do that, it's all very well done. But it's done in a very strange way, like slowing down and moving through and it, it like how it does the frames. It's very peck and paw, and I love that. So I'm definitely into that. But it's just a really tragic thing, and it's also a movie about you know just because you're wanting to destroy yourself um there's other people's lives that you may ruin in the process um but yeah, there's some pretty gnarly stuff in here, but it's not extremely graphic. It's just a well-made, you know, crime love story, which I really enjoyed. I thought it was pretty great stuff. I mean, it's kind of hard to dislike something like this for me. Like, it's a solid movie. I'll have to... You can watch it on the Criterion channel. I'll have to buy this. Next sale. Uh, money's been money's been really tight, you know, with all the sales and all the movies and like, you know, everybody's, you know, pinching pennies lately and for sure. So, uh, you know, they'll have to wait a while. I guess they're not going anywhere. I got plenty of movies to watch for now, so so if the updates seem a little shorter that's probably what's going on right and we got Wasteland coming up anyways uh, as tears go by great film I I would recommend checking it out I think you guys will enjoy it Uh, but who who, probably funny not even listening to me talk about this movie it's so strange you know it's nice that I get to talk about it but at the same time it's like I'm not going to bring anything different um, or new I don't think except my perspective which is I like it I'm dumb. but uh, yeah let's hop into those 1980 movies
1: they did this to you they're trying to turn us against each other Just look at them! What do they know about friendship anyway? I'll get up. you watch. I'll take care of those sons of bitches. Watch
0: it, Alan. I'm shooting. Oh good lord! It's it's unbelievable. It's it's horrible. I can't understand the reason for such cruelty. It must have something to do with some obscure sexual writer. With the almost profound respect...
1: Getting very careless, blood in your hair. <coughs> what will we do? You want to look pretty, don't you? Pretty for me. I can't believe you're not afraid.
0: All you have to do is piss on it. Could you cap blood, ain't ya? God damn it, Ralph. Get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. Never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. Evil. God,
1: my leg. God, my
0: leg. I can You're here.
1: There's a bug bank out there. Messenger of God.
0: Here. Demanding everything, including blood. John, I want this material burned. All of it. Hacked me, the one who pulled me underneath the water. Then he's still there. Used
1: servitude. I think you will all meet
0: again in hell. I'd have mercy on his soul. He was one ruthless son of a bitch. Wendy, (laughs) darling, light of my life. I'm not gonna hurt
1: you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. I'm gonna bash him right the fuck in. Well, Dad, are you proud of me now? Do I measure up? Huh? My son, my son was a son of a bitch. And he was no good. That's it, my son is dead. I don't want to talk about him no more. Oh, See me.
0: Oh, You're gonna die. Iliad! Iliad! Major Lacrimado. Ma'am. Major Tenebra. We didn't find any boy. You know as
1: well as I do He takes all kinds of critters I To make, make
0: Farmer and Fritters
1: <laughs> I wonder who the real cannibals are
0: And the first up is actually kind of crazy. It's directed by David Hess. It's To All a Good Night. It is a slasher movie. It is a Santa Claus slasher film. Now, mind you, Christmas Evil came out the same year, which also is not exactly a slasher. Some people call it a slasher. Um, But it has a Santa Claus killer in it. So we have two 1980 movies, both um, Santa Claus killers in here. This is, like I said, directed by legendary actor, composer David Hess who this year was busy doing House on the Edge of the Park for Ruggiero Diodato, which might have been filmed earlier. Regardless, it does not have David Hess, actually, in the film. Um, it it does have one very familiar face in here in Harry Reems, who this year also was in Demented, who I believe the producer, Alex Rebar had something to do with this movie as well. I believe he produced. And Alex Rebarb, I feel like that name, man. I feel like he was involved with Incredible Melting Man and that stuff. So you know what? This is a rewatch. I had not watched it in a long time. And putting it in, um, I enjoy it. Like, I know people, like, crap on a lot of the Friday the 13th clones, which is already, you know, kind of a rip on Halloween and Bay of Blood and stuff like that. But let's be honest, this one was, like, being written before. So it really it has similarities a lot to Friday the 13th because of the time. And I uh, it feels inspired by it. But a lot of people, you know, credit it being written before or being made during the same time. So it's kind of hard to say if it did. It might even came out before it this year, same year as Friday the 13th. So, like, you got to give it some Credit there, right? Um, anyways, it's about a group of girls. A Christmas break um, and basically they stay back at their college area this, this house that they stay at, just a handful of them because they're not, for whatever reason they call over some guys, some boys to hang out and of course there is a, a mad killer going around in a Santa Claus suit um, and picking them off and the opening is very similar to Prom Night. Um, if you guys have not seen Prom Night from this year, very similar kind of revenge motive killing and which is the same revenge motive killing from Friday the 13th so we have a lot of revenge motive killing Things, um from 1980 that seems to be kind of the driving force of the slasher from 1980 right so um basically it shares all the dna with all these other movies made at the same time and who's to say what's ripping off what at that point you know it's just a big pool i'm sure i can look at you know release times and everything like that um You know, it it has some moments where it's kind of like a little choppy, a little weird in places. But for the most part, it's a solid slasher. It does have some really poor day for night. That's the biggest hit on it. Like the day for night is just like, this is is not right. This is clearly day. This is some of the worst day for night I've ever seen. But hey, I'm not going to write a movie off completely for a bad day for night, right? Um, It has a high body count. And the killer kills some people in some pretty brutal ways. I mean, we even have, you know, um, a a caretaker here who is essentially just the Crazy Ralph character. So we have the red herring guy who's weird and religious. And it's just like, man, this is just how horror movies were at the time. It was all coming up to 19. You know, it's just so much of the same thing, like that collective consciousness. Or this is the, you know, the building blocks and a lot of movies were doing a lot of the same things. And to, To All Good Night was one of them. Um, like I said, it's kind of a little underrated because people always, you know, prefer a lot of the bigger names to it, and that's fine. But I, I dig this one. Like I said, I like the main lead. I think she's charming, and I think she's cool. Um, there's a plenty of sex, plenty of nudity, and the killer, you know. I said it's very much like a um, Friday 13th prom night kind of motive thing going on here. As far as the special features are concerned, we have some interviews, of course. This is the Scorpion release, Kino Scorpion. And it is interviews this uh, stars Jennifer Rubin and Katherine Harrigan, who are apparently... Um, 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 Jennifer Ru- Ru- Runyon, her mom was best friends with this other actress, Katherine Harrigan. So that's kind of cool. And then we have um, one with also writer producer Alex Rebarb. No, so I would check this out if you're a slasher enthusiast or a slasher completist. This is a must. There's a lot more slashers you can do. Um, so I enjoy this one. Um, gory. Uh, Some of the kills are off screen, but there's a lot of them, so you will forgive it. Um, And there's some douchebag rich guys in this, too. You're just like, you fly a private plane out here? Really? Come on, bro. Come on. Get out of here. Okay, the next one from 1980 is going to be Deadline. And this is a kind of a Canadian, like, shocker movie. Like, I mean, like, kind of grotesque in a way. This is a this is a wild one. I've covered this. I think I covered this back in the day for VHS Vo- VHS Voyage, which, you know, had, like, 52 movies that weren't currently released on Blu-ray or DVD in the States. And this is one of them. Thankfully, Vinegar Syndrome picked it up and released it. Looks so much better than my VHS. So I was very happy to revisit this one. This is a good one from 1980, and it's interesting. And it's really dark. The ending is so freaking bleak. It's one of the bleakest endings if you really start to put it into perspective and think about it. I was just like, man, that is so dark and weird and just strange. So, we essentially... Again, think creep show. Like I told you earlier about that fantasy mixing with reality, what you kind of like stuff like that that's happening here or imagining things like, but it's more on a movie set and they're blurring the set. So anyway, let me get into the plot here. We have a writer who's kind of like a world famous writer. He writes a lot of gore and horror and trash. And he, he's, he, you know, he's tired of kind of being like shit on and ridiculed for it. He has a wife and three kids. They have a terrible relationship. It's not good family home life or anything like that. He works too much. She drinks too much. She does drugs, you know, and the kids are kind of left to their own, vi- their own you know, doing what whatever the hell they uh, the wife's left her own vices the kids are just kind of not taken care of as they should be or watched so essentially what happens is um, he's kind of like blurring reality and fantasy throughout the entire movie um, because he's on movie sets a lot so, like, you'll see uh, movie versions of his books, and you'll see these gory, crazy moments from the books, and, and everything like that, like, including this uh, this crazy goat scene, which I absolutely love, and I probably used that clip last time, but the goat scene is very, very memorable and absurd. I mean, <laughs> killer goats. But no, it's just, it's like really schlocky, crazy, gory stuff, which is also really well done, and like, there's one point in the beginning where, like, this college kid start to, like, ridicule him, and start to like, yell at him, and he's trying to keep, like, you know, his, his I guess, his, like, intelligence you know perspective about everything like that well these horror real life and like everybody badmouths them and it's like it's also um like very um true in a lot of ways especially if you're a horror fan so i like, i don't know if this director went on to do a lot more or, or they were a big horror fan and they were tired of the ridicule or maybe they were ridiculing horror in itself but then you're you're also putting your own horror spin on it while ridiculing it, it's like a you know how dario did tenebrae and stuff like that it was very clever in a way so this movie has a lot of clever little touches about it um, and the ending, like I said, there is a real tragedy that does happen, and that ending is just kind of levels it and puts it into like uh, you know into this awful, different kind of dark, dark drama, and it's just twisted. And using your own real life problems and, and um, I guess um, tragedies and um, trauma to make something, you know, it, it can be cathartic, but also it looks really. It can be almost. Heartless, it feels, uh, when we're watching it this way. Um, but I think this is a really, really different movie for 1980 and not much quite like it. I know there is a horror film from 80, 84, 84, 85 called Screenplay, which kind of plays into the weird kind of perspective of somebody writing and like you're kind of seeing what they're writing and, and whatnot. But I, I feel like this one is just a little bit more serious and much more serious and dark and just bizarre. Um, but good, good stuff for sure. As far as the special features are concerned... We have um, producer Something Horrific, an interview with producer Harry Henry Less, embracing the horror, interview with cinematographer Manfred Gruth. Um, yeah, and this is directed by somebody named Mario Asapardi, um, who I don't know, Asapardi. But uh, yeah, I, I would recommend checking this one out. The cinematographer is the same guy from The Pit, another exploitation classic in The Pit. I love The Pit. And you know what? This one's pretty solid. I think most people will get uh, interested out of that one. That is Deadline. Okay, the next one up is directed by William Malone, and this is Scared to Death from 1980, of course. And uh, yeah, so Vinegar Syndrome put this bad boy on Blu-ray. It did have a sequel years down the line called Sygenator or Syngenor, C- which is the name of the monster from this movie. I've never, se- I've seen that one as a kid. It's uh, It's been years, so I barely remember the freaking thing. This one I actually had never seen. And it fits into that subterranean kind of horror movies. You know, that there was a couple this year, and Alligator was definitely the big one, you know, the subterranean horror. And then we'd have ones down the line like Chud from 84. And this shares similarities to Alligator and Chud, although this was way before Chud. So uh, essentially what we have here is women are disappearing really quickly and brutally. More people too. People are as well. And uh, the police have no idea what it is. There's just a a weird, like, slime left at the uh, the the residue, slime residue left at the crime scene. So uh, it basically baffles this police detective. He goes and tries to call in his old friend, who is kind of a whiz at this, but he obviously has some trauma from the police force, lost a partner, doesn't want to do this. He's now a writer. He's kind of a comedian, comic guy, and he's he's starting to date this girl. So that's like a subplot in the film. Anyways, he eventually is going to help out because it starts to hit a little too close to home with people he knows getting hurt and all that kind of stuff. And he starts to look for, you know, the sygenator or a sy- sygenor. It's such a weird word for me to say. It's like S-Y-N-G. It's just silly. Um so that that's basically it. And it was also get backstories eventually what this thing is and the scientific monster and uh, like all this kind of shit, right? It, it's a solid, okay, like B-horror movie. It's a little too long for what it is, if you ask me, when you have like humanoids from the deep the same year, just like going by at like breakneck speed. And then this one just like, it, it, it attempts to like add these little moments of character development, which is appreciated, but I think it slows it down. Um, some people may... Uh, more like that more, right. They might be like, well, it's just depth to it. And you know, it's, they wouldn't be wrong, but it it depends how much you, how uh, mileage will vary on what you get out of that. You know what I mean? So, like I said, the acting is fine. It's not amazing. It's not like, Oh, knock your socks off, but it's not bad. And most performances are solid. Um, Anyways, the monster looks cool too. He's, he's not bad. Obviously, inspired by something like Alien, right? Uh, especially when you see the end, like, kind of place. This is kind of an Alien ripoff. Alien did come out, you know, the year before. And uh, we also have, like, a lot of these little touches and everything like that. But it's kind of hard to not be inspired by Alien, let's be honest. Um, as far as the special, this back cover is looking really um, gratuitous in comparison to what actually happens in the movie. It's, it's making it look like Breeders or something, and it's not, it's not Breeders. Or Humanoids from the Deep. It's not that... Not like Breeders is such a better movie than this, but I mean Breeders has that gratuitous, nasty side to it of like monsters raping women, as does Humanoids from the Deep. So as far as the special features are concerned, we have a commentary track with writer-director William Malone, actor uh, Bryce Kermit uh, Eller, and actress Diana Davidson. Rise of the Sigenator, or Sigenor, sorry... Uh, Brand new making of documentary featuring interviews with writer-director William Malone, actor Bryce Kerwin-Eller, actress um, Diana Davidson, makeup supervisor Jamie Southers, effects artist Kevin Altieri, actor David Moses, actor Mike Muscat, and actress Tony Agenata. Uh, Locations of Scared to Death, a feature at revisiting locations with William Malone, and Dracula Party, Scared to Death music video. So, they went all out. That that making of um, documentary is an hour and 15 minutes, and it's interesting. It has a lot of people in there saying, you know how the movie was made how the effects work you know even the um what is the the young act the the um uh, who is it David Moses uh, Michael Muscat I believe he was popped up in another one I just recently watched as a special feature and he talked about you know being a young actor getting his work out and that was that uh, Retribution I believe he was in Retribution the one Severn put out from 87 88 so, so yeah this one I mean if you're a big fan of the movie I think you'll dig it um, this, this release looks great there's two versions on here and the featurette is kind of worth it um, if you if you want to know anything about the movie um, this one is right down the middle for me you know uh, a decent beat movie i would give a slight recommend william malone did a couple other movies too he did creature from 1985 um with klaus kinski of course and he did the remake of house on haunted hill if i'm not mistaken um and he did you know a couple um masters of horror and everything like that he's definitely in that circle with those guys like with dante and mick garris and all them and hangs out with him and stuff so he's a very intelligent guy um and just uh, obviously loves his horror films he's a monster kid and i Gotta got to give uh, some love to those kind of guys for sure. Anyways, oh, I should mention, the monster does have a pretty gnarly way how it kind of like attacks you. And I thought that was kind of a nice touch. Anyways, the monster is cool. I remember the monster from the movies, the two movies. So he always kind of stuck out. So check it out if you're interested. Okay, this one here is a Hong Kong flick. And this is more, I guess you'd put an exploitation kind of crime film. And this is The Happenings um, and I imagine it's the happenings because the title it takes opens up in a disco, not the only movie from 1980 that has disco in it. See house on the edge of the park, see prom night for disco. So the happenings, it follows a group of six young, young men, um, four young men, two young girls, and they're at this club dancing at first. And one's kind of like a low rent, like thief, a criminal, you know, steals cars, does all that kind of stuff. Um, so this movie is kind of like, a um, uh, on like, a one crazy night movie, <laughs> but it's more like a run movie where I mean, it's a couple nights, I think actually. So that was inaccurate, but it's like kind of an on the run movie. Like uh, a couple of people do something really awful and escalates to like crazy levels. Should mention this does share a lot of similarities to the movie from 1980 called Beyond Terror, the Spanish horror film, which is really cool about kind of criminals being on the run, except that one has a horror kind of thing with it. This does not, I, like I said, it's more of an exploitation crime film, but it just, it, it looked like it could be very interesting. So, what happens is these kids steal a car um, and they're they're joyriding and they go to the gas station and um, they, they're trying to play a joke on their friend like take the gas and steal it. That does not go well and these two gas station attendants, they, they start to beat the kid up. Um, the kid tries to fight back but it's no no help and the, the other guys kind of run back in they drive back and notice it and all of them have this big fight and somebody ends up dead so now they're on their run they've accidentally caused a lot of problems and they're trying to escape the police while they they run into you know other other problems and family and stuff like that and they fight amongst each other and you you realize who they are and you know some of their hopes and dreams, all this kind of stuff and and they're all fighting over this safe you know which supposedly they stole from this gas station well it's, they stole from the gas station supposedly it has a lot of money in it and they can't get it open so there's all that kind of going on and they're dealing with their hurt friend and tragedy is gonna strike um, there's a scene where people are hanging outside on a balcony or like a ledge like a window ledge and I was having like a panic attack it's so scary looking it looks real like they're really doing it obviously they're harnessed in or something I don't know but it's just an intense scene and it's just one of those ones where you're like your pity, your stomach sinks I, I really like this movie I thought it was pretty dark pretty sad um, pretty messed up stuff honestly um, good, good movie for sure I think a lot of people would dig this one if you can find it it's not actually exactly the easiest film to find but i'm glad i watched it for 1980 it's one of my favorite ones out of the batch i watched this week to be honest and it was one of the more different ones too um, it would make a good double feature with the savior um, from 1980 um another hong kong kind of flick um, you know this one has that kind of like uh it feels a little bit similar in some ways obviously filmed around the same time same locations whatever no, but anyways i'd check this one out good stuff the happenings Okay, the next one here from 1980 is Catalyst, aka The Nightmare Never Ends. And this uh, honestly is kind of famous because what happened with this movie is it, I feel, it was like completed. I don't know if it had to be released, but then they took it, chopped it up, and used one of, as one of the segments in Night Train to Tear from 1985. So this story you probably have seen if you see seen Night Train to Tear, but that's like the 30 minute version. This is like the hour and like 25 minute version. It stars, of course, Cameron Mitchell, Richard Mole and Mark Lawrence, all, all good names there, I love Richard Mole, Evil Speak Night Court of course, House um, from 85, and we got Cameron Mitchell who's in every movie including Blood uh, and Black Lace and um, Without Warning from this year and then Mark Lawrence from Pigs and a bunch of other movies, uh, Dream No Evil so I, I like those people, they stand out to me so this plot here is as follows, an old uh, Jew uh, he you know, he wit- he's obsessed with finding this guy um, he believes that it's a guy who tortured him in a Nazi death camp this is years ago and the guy has never changed his appearance or anything like that he's trying to tell Cameron Mitchell that who's a friend of his who's a police officer lives in the same building i believe or something like that they're friends they're they they know each other somehow And Cameron Mitchell thinks he's crazy, of course, but when his friend turns up dead, he wants to look into the case. Um, Simultaneously, Richard Mole is this kind of philosopher, I don't know what his job is exactly, but he's he's a very intelligent guy, kind of a, a professor type, and he's writing a book that God is dead, God never existed, yada, yada, yada. And so this evil guy who the Jewish guy pointed out has his eyes on Richard mole. Cause he feels like he can use him to his advantage, of course. Right. And, and help him push his evil agenda because it's a very, you know, this guy's evil. He is like a spawn of Satan. He, you know, a demon, he sold his soul. He's been in all the wars, all this kind of stuff right over the years. So this one is definitely, it feels kind of pro Christian, but it's just a horror film. Right. And wh- I mean, horror films are going to definitely have to embrace that, you know, good versus evil aspect a lot of the times so yeah this is kind of the plot here the main kind of character is the uh, female i can't think of her actress the actress in here she's not one of these like character actors like the other three that pop up in a lot of stuff she probably is but she's just not ringing a bell picture quality didn't look great either so i might not even have recognized her uh just the other names pop up and you kind of hard to not recognize richard mole and cameron mitchell let's be honest and and mark lawrence's voice so uh, yeah, this one's okay. It's not perfect. It kind of chugs along. It, it, it kind of slugs around. I mean, it's not the the pacing is not amazing, but I love Cameron Mitchell in this movie, and he's got some of the weirdest lines I've heard. He's it's like I'm putting icy icy swastikas in my oatmeal. I'm just what? Who wrote that? What is that? Where'd that come from? And there's a part where he's says, like, "Yeah, fuck it all." And he starts dancing, if I'm not mistaken, and I was just like, "This just won me over." This was kind of like. I didn't like this that much, but then Cameron Mitchell just kind of lost it. And I was like, I kind of like this. I just like um, Cameron Mitchell, it kind of gets a, a shitty way out of this movie as you know, and, and there's some wacky kind of off, off the <laughs> nonsensical kills in here because it's kind of like the style, like Omen where like, you're just like, but it's like a devil type character doing it. So you you can understand what could happen here. There's also this crazy monk. It's not a horrible movie. Um, there's a pretty decent scene at the end in a surgery, um, but I, I enjoy it for the most part. Some of the post dubbing is absolute dog shit. I hope it's post dubbing because if somebody's talking like that on purpose, it's just ridiculous. But it's very loud and very just over the top. It just doesn't feel right from a, from some of the characters. But for the most part, you know, it's a it's a um, demonic horror film. It's a little better than average to me. Most people probably would say it's some par, but I kind of enjoyed it. And uh I I would like to watch, you know, Greta is one that came from Night Train to Tear. And, and I yeah, it's on that disc if you want to watch it, um, the Night Train to Tear Disc. And there's a third one as well. I don't know if that was ever complete. But that's just such a bizarre story, cutting three movies up and throwing them in Night Train to Tear to try to salvage them or whatever, get more money. I don't know what it is. But anyways, uh, you know, the Nightmare Never Ends. It was released by Troma on DVD if you're interested in a three-pack and by itself. Um, and it has a VHS floating around, uh, yeah, so check it out if it sounds like it's up your ad alley. Okay, I'll be very brief with this next one. I believe it's a Spanish film, and it is Vicious and Nude. This is actually a remake of the 1976 movie Death Games. Um, Is it Death Games? Yeah, I believe it is, which Grindhouse put out. Then that movie was later remade in 2015 by Eli Roth, Uh, Knock Knock. So this is kind of a middle one from 1980, Vicious and Nude. Um, It stars Jack Taylor. Jack Taylor is a really fun character actor. He's in stuff like Pieces. He's in Rest in Pieces, and he's in a lot, a lot of Jess Franco movies including Count Dracula. Um, so here we go. Basically, Jack Taylor is like a writer. He's kind of a professor type. And he, he's known for kind of like saying kids, young the young generation needs our help. They're, they're really really ridiculed against, and he doesn't like it. He's happily married with a kid. And you guys know the story if you've seen Knock, up, Knock Knock or Death Games, which I've not seen Death Games. I have it. I need to watch it. I know, I know, I know. So essentially what happens is one day these, these girls show up. They're young, and uh, they seduce him. They um, they have, like, a night of sex and orgies, and when he wakes up, they don't want to go, and they start to play mind games with him. They start to, like, corner him and ridicule him, and you kind of understand, like, you're like, yeah, you're this, supposed to be this guy, and you had these sex sexual relations with these two young girls, and it, it's just, like, a lot of that kind of stuff going on here. I mean, there's a lot of nudity. There's a lot of sex. Um, but for the most part i find I was okay with it a couple of people end up dead um, it is what it is um it, it's a little boring a little bland it gets a little repetitive for me to be honest um but it's kind of hard when you know exactly where the story's going because you've seen a rendition of it already um, and I'm sure a lot of people probably prefer this one over the knock knock one I don't know I, I think I prefer knock knock I do like seeing Jack Taylor and I do like that he's getting very frisky it's kind of crazy seeing a middle-aged guy just let it you know I, I don't think there's actually you see it but I mean he's down for it um, which a lot of actors wouldn't do that but uh it's an okay movie it's an interesting movie for me to watch for 1980 of course because you know it's it's a remake and then it was remade later it's just kind of it's just interesting to see that kind of deal and it's more of a thriller but still i guess um death games is kind of considered exploitation kind of in the horror genre too so vicious and nude okay the next one up here is from jess franco and franco pasperi if i'm not mistaken and this is cannibals aka white cannibal uh queen and I watch this, on, uh, you know, on a streaming service. So I actually did not open my DVD. There's an HD version of this around. I think you can import uh, HD Blu-ray of this. Um, so, I, so I, if you're in, like the movie, then check it out. So this is like the last of the like cheap cannibal movies that I haven't covered. Maybe I didn't, I didn't recover primitives, but I will. Um, so this is uh, cannibals, White Cannibal Queen, yeah. Has Al Cliver in it, has Robert Foster in it, has Lena Lin- Romay, so a lot of Franco regulars. Al Cliver did like, was he in all three of the Cannibal movies that were really cheap, like made from Spain, like whatever, co productions? I know he's in Devil Hunter. Was he in the other one too, uh, Cannibal Terror? I can't remember. Like Cannibal Terror, Devil Hunter, and this are going to bleed together because they're all like cheap, like. Kind of crummy cannibal movies from 1980. They're not on the level, of course, of Cannibal Holocaust or Eaten Alive or Zombie Holocaust. They're just not there. A lot of fucking cannibal movies, right? And that kind of, and then not even including Cannibal Apocalypse, completely different too. So, so much cannibalism and not we're going to eat, we're going to eat, use another one, and then Long Island Cannibal Massacre. And I, I was just talking about the. Euro cannibal movies, but man, there's a bunch of them on top of that. So anyways, White Cannibal Queen, we have Al Cliver and his wife and a daughter, um, really some of the worst dubbing ever in this movie. Um, they're going to this exposit- expedition and what happens is they're attacked by cannibals. The wife is... Uh, ripped her clothes are ripped off and she's eaten alive and some of the eating alive scenes they look like reshoots but they're kind of gory they're kind of nasty you see like actual teeth on flesh ripping at it that's kind of effective um, Al Cliver's daughter is kidnapped by the tribe or she gets stranded and she's out in the wilderness Al Cliver loses his arm so the rest of the movie Al Cliver has to walk around with like his shirt and his sleeve or whatnot in a jungle movie so uh, like 20 years later 10 years later it's about 10 Um, He wants to go back in the jungle and look for his daughter. He knows these kind of rich people that paid for the original um, um, expedition. expedition, I can't say that word today, um, I believe. So he tries to ask them to do it. They're both complete douchebags. Eventually, they agree to it, but they just think it'll be a fun time to wander in the jungle. And they're just ridiculously rich and annoying and stupid. And they have a group of friends that want to go. Nothing says a good time like wandering in cannibal-infested jungle. Come on. So, so um, also they don't believe it happened, but still it's the fucking jungle, man. It's dangerous and you're rich and probably not used to walking in these kind of horrible places like that or dangerous places. I mean, if you're not used to a place like that, you just don't go. Okay, stop. So anyways, of course, they look for the daughter. Now she's grown and she leads the tribe um, and she's naked running through the the jungle. Half the movie, of course, I'm sure a lot of people would dig that Um, because if you can't, I, I feel like a lot of these cannibal movies always have the nudity in there, right? Or the half naked like white cannibal queen character in the films. It's always there. It's like this weird thing that probably stems back from like thirties movies and those those eight movies probably have it as well. King Kong hell. Or whatever, right? It's all there. So anyways what happens is they get picked off, um in a lot of hilarious ways. Most of them get eaten. Most of them actually just get hit with like poison darts. And you're like, this is getting real cheap. Um, we infamously know Jess Franco really didn't want to do these movies. And it shows, I think it's better than cannibal tear. That's not saying much. Um, it's not as good as devil hunter. This is where we're at. I'm comparing like the low grade cannibal movies from 1980. Um, not as good as devil hunter better than cannibal tear. So the second worst cannibal movie of 1980, um, a Euro-cannibal movie, I should say. So, I mean, like, it is what it is, right? Um, people get killed really fast. Characters you barely know, you barely care about getting ripped apart until the med climax where, you know, Al Cliver's got to save his daughter, or not. Okay, now the last one for 1980 is Long Island Cannibal Massacre. Very regional horror movie, of course. Um, very low budget. These guys were very young when they made it. Nathan Skiff. He also did stuff like The Weasels Rip My Flesh, and They Don't Cut Grass, which I covered for 1985, and Vermillion Eyes, which never really, I don't think, had a proper release. But, okay, this one I had never seen. This was like the main three out of three ones of his, the releases that Image put out, I didn't watch. I know you're asking, why is a seal? I watched it online. I've had this for 20 years, and I never watched it, and I wasn't going to open it because I'm dumb. So, Anyways, um, Long Island Cannibal Massacre, you know, it's very regional, like I said, very um, like kind of kids making a movie on film. You got to give them some pointers for that. But it's an absolutely ridiculous plot. Of course, we have a group of baddies going around kidnapping people to feed to their like family members that have become leopards. It's fucking weird, right? It's got like this weird cheap quality. It's gory. It's it's kind of like an updated, you know, 80 version of Herschel Gordon Lewis movies, except it's weird because Herschel Gordon Lewis was like a money man. Like, and I don't think these guys were there for the money man aspect. They're like inspired by Herschel Gordon Lewis and, and like Annie Milligan, those cheap movies, and they want to make their, they want to put a lot of heart into it and make it at the same time. But at the same time, it's, it's, ma- it's like, a, it's made like a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie, so it's really cheap and everything and, and just goofy. There's like a lot of blood and gore if you're into it, guts being ripped out. So these definitely deliver in that kind of aspect and some absolutely ridiculous effects at the end in the Master Monster Leper. It, it's not it's insane. I don't even know what to say about it. Um it's not a particularly great film. It is kind of meandering. There's a lot of talking. There's just a lot of like stupid stuff going on, but there's a lot of kills. There's a lot of characters wandering in you don't really care about or know who they are just to get eaten and ripped apart by, you know, uh, the people and then fed to cannibals. It's not great, I can't, you know, but it's worth a look, especially if you're trying to be a completist in 1980 and see all these different movies or you're into regional horror films so you might enjoy it, um, the DVD actually does have a couple features on here as well, um, audio commentary by director, um, interview with the director, cast and crew interviews, John Senhola and Fred Borges, um, and then we have trailers for the movies of course, so yeah, um, gory, weird, regional, um, 1980 movie that I think some people will dig, um, and there is a twist in the movie as well, which is a couple twists. You're just like, what the fuck is this coming out of? Anyways, yeah, check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley. All right, we're here for Blind Spot. And I know we promised Knight Riders, but. We got time, bamboozled again. Time was really short this week, so Jeremy had a pick, and he decided to pick 1959, William Castle Classic, House on Haunted Hill, because surprisingly, neither of us have seen it. That's a really bad blind spot. Uh, yeah, stars Vincent Price, uh, Elijah Cook Jr., who is in stuff like Messiah of Evil and the Maltese Falcon. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure most people don't need an introduction to the House on Haunted Hill. Uh, eccentric Millionaire, Vincent Price, invites, uh, what is it, Four? No, five. Five, five kind of strange people that all need money, and or they say they're interested in certain things, to a, a supposedly haunted house where there's been seven murders, and it's haunted, and they have to survive the night, typically, and if they get out, survive the night, they're locked in, they get $10,000. Yeah, that's that's kind of it, and of course shenanigans ensue there's a vat of acid which was very rem- reminded me of scream and scream again also with vincent price uh so yeah this is a lot of fun black and white um i i tried to watch this years ago and i just couldn't get into it that was just it was real late and... we yeah we had put it on years ago like yeah and the floating heads, I was just like, I don't think I like, can do am done. <laughs> it was just, but no, it's, it's very like, I guess, campy, self-aware of its mm-hmm. silliness. Um, and the highlight for me is personally Vincent Price and his wife going back and forth.
1: Oh yeah. They, they actually have, I think some of the best scenes together. There's really good chemistry. The only ghoul um, in the house, darling, is you. I mean, the, the, the dialogue, know, dialogue is brilliant. The right? dialogue is brilliant. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to spoil too much just I'm because... I'm sure everybody's seen House of Nome, sure. except us. We're the last two right, the last fans two of its humans. surprise that have seen that, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> but, no, I mean, it's it's clever. Um, I guess... Did I predict it? Like, I'm trying to think, did I predict exactly what was going on? At a certain point, you kind of know. It's a very... You know, it's a gaslighting story. I mean, it is. Like, you, you figured that, like, somebody
1: wants someone dead. And, and that's why it's happening in here. Um... Clue would kinda of take from this big time. I think a lot of things would take from this. Um e- e- you know, it's it's just that old story uh stay of the night in the haunted castle, get a million dollars, you know. It's like, very,
0: very typical.
1: R- right. You know, and, and you know, there's so many different movies, stories, books, video games, board games, you know, but that, old
0: tales, I'm sure ghost stories. Hundreds of oh, ghost yeah. stories. Yeah. We go back to to Vi, which is a very old story, right? Mhm. The Russian story where you have to stay in there. It's not to get a million dollars, but also it's Spooky Encounters, you have to stay the night to get the money. It's just a, a very typical, classic ghost story thing. Oh, yeah.
1: You know, it's like, oh, my weird eccentric uncle passed away, and very, the only thing he has is the house. Very gothic. And, and, and yeah, it. yeah. Um, you know, this one's a little bit different. This one, you know, it's kind of like, I don't want to say a murder mystery, but there is like like a mystery involved in it. Like, like why are we the ones that you invited? Nobody knows each other. Why is an old eccentric man doing this? I say old eccentric man. Vincent Price is like 35 and He's this. not 35. He's <laughs> probably more like 45.
0: Anyways, I'm not sure how old he is, but he, he's great in it. He's definitely the highlight. Elijah Cook Jr. is very nervous, nervous drunk. He does that mm-hmm. well. I mean, he's got those wide eyes. He always has panics, like in all of the movies he's in. Kind of definitely the same character type, for sure. Uh,
1: some of the characters, I think, are under underutilized. Um, you know, you have the, the young couple... Um, and, and I think the first half of the movie really kind of focuses on them and their relationship, but it builds up to, for something happening later on the, the older woman that with the gambling debt, um, she's fun. She's fun. She, there's no reason for her to be here. She she don't offer anything in the movie. Every well, other she's character. got the good
0: gag with the blood dripping. from the She ceilings. does have yeah. So like, what was their mo? Like, because like, literally, did they want to scare them so bad? So one, yeah, that was definitely it. So they had to set up all the scares to freak everybody out. They had sure. yeah. They had to put everybody on. Edge. I called the blanks right away. Yeah, I knew the guns had blanks. Yeah, yeah. Things. So there's guns that have blanks, but basic.
1: I mean, can, can we spoil it? Should yes. we spoil it? Okay, uh, you know so. You know, like, like, the movie starts out, and, you, and right off the bat, you, you get that Vincent Price and his wife don't exactly like each other. No, not at all. And there had been, like, they have each, like, attempted to, like, do each other in before. Um, and it's revealed later on that, like, oh, the wife is actually having an affair with one of the guys yeah. in, in, so involved. Price knew something was up. Yeah, um, and so there's this elaborate, like... I know they're going to kill me tonight, but not if I kill them first. Kind or of or trick them. Or, or, or trick see them, them three steps
0: ahead. There is the, uh, there's a movie that came out last year, I think. It's a Swedish movie. It's by the people that did Dead Snow. And it's on, I can't think of what it's called, The Trip. And it's like that husband and wife go out, and it's a comedy, and they're both planning on killing each other because they can't see each other. But the criminals show up. Remember that? The one with the like the criminals in the attic? And I one think I remember died. It's very funny. One. It's very good. Yeah. It's very clever. It's very much, you know, mm-hmm. too. Well, that's a common thing, too, to... Like, uh, you know, want to kill each other, well, husband and wife, so. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we're going to read from the book. Do you want to right. go first? Uh, sure. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, your, yours is today. pretty. Uh, oh, no, this one's short. That was the, uh, the remake. The remake. Let, me yeah. do the, let me do this. Okay. I saw the remake and I was terrified, which is actually directed by William Malone, which we, I believe it's William Malone. We had a movie this week about him. You can go ahead if you want.
1: Okay. Um,
0: James O'Neill, tear on Tate. What I watch?
1: House on Haunted Hill. There yeah. we are. Out of four, yeah, out of four, he does this three and a half. Nineteen fifty-eight, Castle's best gimmick shocker. This has a delightfully urbane prince as suave millionaire Frederick Lorne, who lived, who invites five people to spend the night in an eerie, supposedly haunted old mansion in return for ten thousand dollars apiece if they survive the night. This is thoroughly enjoyable little number with a falling chandelier, clutching hands. A ceiling that drips blood, a severed head in the closet, a skeleton in the basement, an acid vat in the wine cellar, an ugly old witch on roller skates. Well, <laughs> it just goes on and on. Originally released in Emerigo, a silly trick where during a climatic scene, a plastic skeleton on a wire was flown over the audience's heads. The gimmicks. Favorite line: "Price to perfidious wife, Omar. Remember the fun when, or the, remember the fun we had when you when you poisoned me." Um... That is a great line. Yeah. And, and well,
0: uh, you read yours through. So House on Haunted Hill, three out of five. William Castle's best gimmick flick with Vincent Price as a sophisticated man-man who invites five guests to Haunted Hill with the offer of $10,000 to anyone who can spend the night and still collect in the morning. Floating sheets, ghostly faces, skeletons, bubbling pits, doors and windows that fly open mysteriously, etc. etc. It's really great fun. Rob White's script even has a few genuinely frightening moments. Castle directed this with his usual... Uh, lack of subtlety, but here it worked. Richard Long, Elijah Cook Jr. Um, it's kind of funny. I feel like well, he just like copy paste his review and took it down a start. Right. Um, so like Castle also did Tingler, didn't he? He yeah, did the Tingler. He did Thirteen Ghost. Um, I never seen Thirteen. 13 Frightened ghost. women. He did a bunch of movies. He has a lot of films. Now the Tingler. He actually produced Rosemary's Baby, okay. but he took his name off it because people. I think he took his name off that. Did he? Or that Mel Brooks producing The Fly took his name off it? Well, anyways, William Castle produced Rosemary's Baby. Okay. Um,
1: so like like I know with the Tingler when that aired in theaters, um, different seats were
0: hooked up with like He's the gimmick master. Yeah, he's you know, the gimmick Alfred like, Hitchcock. That's what he basically right. based his whole career on.
1: Um you know, I I don't think I've seen that many Castle movies. I, this and Tingler are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. Well
0: old Dark House remake he did too. Did Six yeah, for Hammer, remember? The oh, that was a castle movie. Yeah, movies, you know? yeah, because it doesn't feel like a hammer movie. No. It's it, really good though. I guess it feels like a castle movie, right? Kind of. Yeah. yeah. So, oh. um, yeah, I, I like this movie. It's four out of five. It's very fun. I don't have too much to say about it. It probably could be derivative to people that have seen a hundred movies similar to it, but I feel like this one's OG and it still works because it's in price and yeah, right. It's just fun. It's just really a lot of fun, and, and the dialogue's great.
1: Yeah, easily four out of five. You know, it's it's price, it's hammy, it's you know, from its time. Um, like I said, it's it's a very easy watch. Um, what what, what clock in like seventy minutes or something? If that. Yeah, seventy-two minutes or um, something. Yeah, it's simple. You, you know, like like I've been working a lot of the overtime, so it's it's hard to like like fit in the movie like so because we were gonna do. Night Riders. Night Riders, so it's like a two hour movie and it's like two
0: hours and twenty five minutes.
1: Right. It's like like yeah, and it's like like man, do I have time to fit that into my schedule? We did not. No, so um so we watched this one instead. So I guess should we do Night
0: Riders again then? This yes, week? but we should have a backup just in case. The backup's contraband. For me, because Night Riders my pick. If we can't get Night Riders, it'll be Contraband.
1: How, how long is Contraband?
0: A uh, regular movie. I doubt it's over two hours. It's a it's a Eurocrime film from Italy. They're not going to run over I two see, hours. It's, like it's not Fernando de Leo I mean, he <laughs> might have a longer one, but this is Lucio Fulci. This What's Lucio Fulci? What's well, the longest Fulci? I, I
1: don't know. Like like the uh, how long is the longest that Fulci ever finished or?
0: What are you talking? Um... I don't know what the longest Wolchi is that's a good question I feel like some of those like thrillers he did early could be an hour and 40 some minute mark or zombies probably 100 minutes I mean, zombies 100 I minutes I don't know I don't know I feel like look. Don't Torture a
1: Duckling was was long
0: Don't Torture a Duckling might be long why am I looking at zombie now okay we're not doing this yeah we're not we don't care all right, we don't we're care. out of here yeah we're out it's gonna be Knight Rider's or Contraband again right. sorry Knight Rider alright guys let's get into these questions, comments, concerns all that good stuff what the Flick? Speaking of movies that are so bad they're good, have you seen Nutbag by the director of Murder Set Pieces, Nick Palumbo? Uh, no, I have not. That movie has become my favorite so bad it's good. Movie um, Movie over the years, but when I hear people's opinions on the, of the film, it's always how how disturbing or sick it is. All I see is comedy gold. Just curious what you think. Thanks for the time and effort you put in every video. Thank you. I have not seen it. I have the Massacre video release. I'll have to check it out. Nick Mua, I've bought a number of basically the question of the week was what's your favorite uh, Vinegar Syndrome partner label? Nick, well, I bought a number of Vinegar Syndrome releases I wasn't as familiar with the partner label. Still, Canadian International Pictures has some interesting titles to offer. Buster Keaton Rides again, for one. Also, my Lovecraft comment last time. They they made an all-American, African-American show called Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country some years ago uh, to redress the past and bring a much-needed balance. It got canceled pretty quick, no doubt a racist conspiracy, Sigh. Some people actually wanted to replace HP's body of work with this as a, as a black gay dude, I hope I don't end up seeing racist and homophobes behind every tree in all forms of entertain, entertainment. Cause yikes. Um, I, I actually didn't see the show. I was interested in it. I hear good things, but I mean, that is kind of an interesting way to look, you know, Lovecraft because obviously he had the racist, you know, history and past and all the horrible things he said, but taking that aspect and doing that in there. But this it it is weird. I mean, like a lot of times people think Hollywood's so liberal but, and they they are in some ways, of course, but then, like, when it comes to money, like, they will, like, cut out gay characters or African-American characters to sell movies to the Chinese market, you know, they, they kind of do that kind of shit, too, so it's just, like, at the end of the day, they are a company, and the company's gonna go where the money is, that's what most companies do, no matter what they tell you. Not that I'm, like, bad-mouthing, you know, Hollywood, I like, it doesn't matter, I'm just saying, you know, they've done shit like that, too, so when people are like, oh, they're so, it's like, are they? Like, I don't... Okay, so about my cancel the zombie genre question: What if some people identified as zombies and demanded the zombie genre be scraped or altered drastic, uh, drastically as to not offend them? No one would pay attention to that. If people were identifying as dead, then like I'm dead, you like do you, do they not pay taxes anymore? Do they are they not allowed to have houses? I mean, if they are actually dead and they were zombies. I mean, maybe we stop making zombie movies because we have to actually deal with a bunch of dead people walking around all a la Shattered Dead or something. But uh, the idea is just, like, so absurd that I don't have an answer for you. Like, I mean, I would just be like, you identify as, this just doesn't make any sense. It's just not a logical, you know, reasoning for stopping any movies because it's just insane. I mean, it would have to be a pretty big movement, right? Um, questions. Will the cats feature on TikTok pets are consider, uh, considered awfully cute? Maybe. I don't know. Which do you consider the first true giallo, and which giallo is your favorite? Uh, my favorite is kind of a, a bastardization of the giallos. I like Tenebrae, which it basically plays on the giallo. It's not—I I, won't even—it's—it it's, it's, is kind of a traditional, but it also isn't. Um, some people list the first giallo as uh, "Blood and Black Lace" by Mario Bava. Some people say earlier, you know, like "The Girl Who Knew Too Much." Is that? little or whatever movie he did sorry about that aka the evil eye or something like that some people say that one but then earlier there was like crimmies which were like the german kind of deal so it's very hard to pinpoint the first one the one in 1970 that kind of like kick it would be you know Bur- bird with the crystal plumage after that people were making all sorts of them, but uh, like some people, or some early Umberto Lenzi, or The Sweet Body of Deborah, there's a lot, but I'm not as familiar with some of the earlier ones, but I would just go Blood and Black Lace, you know, my favorites, uh, Tenebrae, or Blood and Black Lace, something like that. Um, Till next week, uh, take it easy, but not too easy. Okay. Smudge, you should check out Red Letter Media's episode on Suburban Sasquatch. It's one of their favorite terrible movies. Uh, uh, Petrie Lampella, I always been told that The Awakening, by the way, I love the similar-named ghost story from 2011, is like the most boring movie ever. But Every time I see the poster art and remember Charlton Heston's in it, I want to think that they just don't know what they're talking about. Now I really want to check it out. It's worth checking out. It's not, it is dull, it is slow, but it's not. It's not, like, the worst film ever made. It's worth watching. Uh, Ken Coakley. When it comes to Vinegar Syndrome titles, it would be hard to pin down a favorite from the actual label. I finally got Hard Rock Zombies a couple of weeks ago, and the song Cassie is still in my head. Love the song. Um, but the only sub-label I have on Blu-ray is Eggfa, because some of the movies were on DVD from something weird. R.I.P. Mike Verini. And my favorite Eggfa title is uh, Santis, The Devil's Mass. My friends are surprised because I'm Christian, but I like documentaries, and this shows how people live. And there's a woman being interviewed with while sitting around naked talk about non-titillating she looks like dennis leary after a sex change space and teeth included Mm. probably shouldn't have read that out loud i i didn't i don't pre-check these but um Speaking of documentaries, when the timestamp said review, The American Scream, I got thrown off because there's a documentary that was very good, in my opinion, called The American Scream. I do remember that documentary about people in my home state of Massachusetts who spend the whole year set up uh, elaborate haunted houses for trick-or-treaters or Halloween with some, it's even to the point of obsession. One guy who looks like Eddie Vedder built a mummy's tomb when I saw I kept thinking of Iron Maiden's song Power Slave. The movie was on Peacock last I checked. I saw it at local theater when it came out, and it's even, it was even more amazing. Oh, cool. I'll have to check that out. I don't know if I actually ever watched it, but I remember it coming out. Kentuckinator is laughing at 4929, talking about me talking about Mama Dracula course killer rodan stay awesome dude you rock thank you um travis lidsgum i really loved american scream i'm glad to see it get some love it's such a bizarre movie on top of the goofy family road trip comedy and horror mixture there are some weird art house flourishes throughout george buck flowers barbecue flashback is truly strange and well done um there really isn't anything quite like this movie his favorite OCN sublabel is AGFA with Saturn's Score as a runner-up. I grab everything they both put out. Since I started late, I missed a lot of the AGFA's early stuff, but I'm on track to get every Saturn's Score put up, everything Saturn's Score's put out. The other sub-labels are great, but the volume of release is a little daunting, especially when Arrow, Severn, and Mondo are always must-buys already. James D. Koch, AGFA is the OG, but from the new ones, probably Gunpowder and Sky. Tyler Harris, Saturn's Core and Culture Shock, easy. Elite Ross, AGFA and Saturn's Core, Derek B., Saturn's Core, Zach Puccinelli. What kind of stuff does Saturn Core put out? And Corey Walter responds, micro-budget films like Slaughter, Sissies, and Shattered Dead. Some SOV stuff, sisters, sorry. Um... There is a podcast I listed called Sinister Sissies. That's why I'm getting confused there, which they cover true crime and horror films. Um, so uh, like Slaughter Sisters and Shattered Dead, some S.O.V. stuff like Burglar from Hell and Savage Harvest. Death work, lucky looking- death. My dry mouth for big sure for sure. Death look worth looking into. Madeline Deering, Terrorvision, Saturn's Core, and Egfa. Corey Walter, Madeline Deering, Terrorvision's death going to take his top spot when they have a few more releases out. And Corey Walter also says Saturn's Core, no question. Zach Puccinelli, AGFA all day, every day. Mike Clark, Saturn's Core. Tim Geist, Arrow, which I I think he meant... Maybe they do collaborate, but they're not really a partner label. Um, Mike Humphrey, Mark Humphreys, AGFA. I like some There's Something Weird releases, especially Christopher Webb. Mark Humphreys, this. Justin Burning, Terrorvision, James Burkert, Pulse. Warren Zeon, um, Culture Shock. Uh, Dominic Fabry, Fun City Editions by a Longshot. Def Crocodile and Culture Shock to follow. Sam Edwards, Saturn's Core. In fact, I believe you and Moods uh, are the people that turn me into them because I love SOB. Lawrence Maisie, Arrow Video for me. Jacob Davidson, Saturn's Core. I love their SOB releases. And I'm going to post the question up here because I am far too tired and lazy to do it uh, right now. to think of one off the top of my head and I want to make it good or just maybe not do it this week. So anyways, let's hop into the update. Just a quick update here, only three titles. First up is <laughs> The Horrible Sexy Vampire. Yes, Man and the Macabre had a misprint on their slipcover. It happens. Uh, the Horrible Sexy Vampire, not seen this one. Uh, definitely picked up the whole bundle. I, when I can afford it, I, I try to pick up the bundles. I want to support them. You know, sometimes they'll send them to review. Sometimes I'll just pick up the standard copies down the line. But you know, when I can, I, I grab them. They're Great company. So we have Love Brides of the Blood Mummy. That's a mouthful of a title. To stay alive, he needed her body and her blood. So, yep, this is 1973, uh, French and Spain co-production. I'm going to tell you the truth. 1973 has a lot of good films in there. Kind of a kind of an underrated year. I mean, like I think a lot of people love the '70s and '80s, but a lot of times you start looking at some of the deeper cuts in 1973 and some good stuff. So I, I look forward to checking that one out. And this one, the other side of the mirror. I love that title. Filmed by Jess Franco, and I am a Franco fan. I'm sure there's a lot of Franco files out there now because he has like a thousand movies, and almost every one of them is hit on Blu-ray soon. So yeah, this one looks interesting enough. Um, I, I don't know too much about it. Uh, Howard Vernon's in it. That's always a plus, um, of course. So yeah. Anyways, that's the quick update let's get back to the video and then get out of here all right guys thank you very much for watching and as always have a good one